0: Lasting media. Hey guys, it's the uh, Bad Decisions Podcast. I'm Katie Duke. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, just a fair warning the language I'm going to use here is not going to be appropriate for all ages. You're welcome. Previously on Bad Decisions. Please call the medical transport van to take me to the hospital because we weren't allowed to take Ubers or taxi cabs. My bed sheets were just like mangled with like sweat. I was literally not eating anything. I was living off Gatorade, electrolyte packets, and water. Welcome to Bad Decisions with Katie Duke, the only podcast that dives into raw and unfiltered conversations, the real shit that we all go through but never talk about. Now here's your host, Katie Duke. All right, so uh, welcome back, kiddos. This is uh, part three of my COVID chronicles. Yeah, so I know where we left off last week. I had just checked into the emergency room, found out that I had ground glass opacities, which was indicative of pneumonia. I was incredibly short of breath. I was very symptomatic. I could not speak in full sentences. I was hypoxic febrile and um, I was being admitted to the hospital. So I actually, um, before I moved to D.C., I worked at Mount Sinai for almost five years. It was my first NP job. It is a hospital that I love and has some of the most phenomenal nurses, attendings, fellows, and um, residents and NPs like and patient care techs that you can just ever imagine. Um, it is such a special place. And I was very thankful that I went to the hospital that I used to work at because, like, let's just face it, like, us hospital people, like, we're, we're spoiled. We we know people. I, I got a person there. I got a person there. And I you have people there. And it's just like, okay, I'm familiar with this place. And you know what kind of care they give. That was something that was very comforting to me because, obviously, I don't have my family or friends around to comfort me. I don't have the normal things that would make you feel better about being admitted to a hospital. So I really had, um, I really was very grateful and very blessed to be admitted somewhere where I had people. So I was admitted. Um, I was admitted, um, the, um, cardiology slash COVID service kind of teamed up for the admissions there. And, um, I got a private room. Obviously, I got a private room. I'm, I'm on fucking isolation. <laughs> um, I guess I got to say that was the one really awesome thing about being on ISO was that I got a nice little private room. Um, and they admitted me to one of the units that I used to work on, which is Seven Center at Mount Sinai Hospital, which traditionally was a heart failure LVAD unit, um, which had been converted to a COVID unit during the COVID crisis. The nursing director there is Lindsay Conrad. She is a really stellar, stellar human being. Probably one of the most hardworking and supportive directors I've I've ever seen in all my years. Like she she'll call you out on your shit, but she will also like teach you to be proactive and she will also, you know, really encourage you to want to do better. And um, she's very supportive of nurses. So I was really excited to be on that unit because I knew all the nurses, I knew the techs, I knew the clerks, I knew, you know, the staff. And I kind of felt for the first time since, like, I left D.C., like, I felt at home. And we really underestimate how important it is to feel at home somewhere. (sighs) I think that was, again, like, one of the things that really kind of devastated me about the breakup also was because, like, I— went from being so excited to share a home with, you know, my boyfriend and build a life to like basically being homeless and living out of hotels. Like I couldn't fly home to be with my family um, and I had no, you know, like I had, I didn't have my own place. And so when I got admitted, it was kind of like the first sense of, hey, like welcome home that I had had since April 1st. And that was something that was very comforting, even though I was literally admitted in the hospital. That was very comforting um, and also to be around my people. So over the next 24 hours, I had an ID consult and the ID consult, um, Dr. Niebart, who is just a fabulous human being and just a brilliant ID attending. Um, he says, all right, so here's what we're going to do, kid. <laughs> He's a- Um, and he's like this old New Yorker and he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start you on steroids. We are going to give you some antibiotics and I'm going to call my research team because I, I'm, you know, with your pneumonia and your symptoms, I'm pretty sure you would qualify for remdesivir and, um, you know, you're, you're not going to go anywhere for a couple days. So just prepare yourself that, you know, you're the patient now, you're not the provider. And that was a really interesting Perspective. You are now the patient. You are not the provider, and that was kind of tricky for me because I was like, um, "I don't like being the patient. I like having control and making the decisions, and I don't want to be the patient." But I was, and it was a perspective that I really have like never felt. I've never been. You know, I've been in and out of the hospital, like little stuff here and there over all the years. Like I had tubes in my ears. I had kidney stones. I've had anaphylaxis. But, I mean, I was admitted. I was an inpatient. And that kind of fucked with me because I was just like, I know what it takes for somebody to get like fully admitted. And that kind of messed with me because I was like, Katie, you're really sick. And I had never really known what it feels like to have your health status in jeopardy. And I think that that is a big testament to the whole entire COVID pandemic because you have people of all walks of life and of all levels of health having their health status in jeopardy. And to be someone who's a provider and you know everything that goes on behind the scenes and you just, you know, two weeks prior had seen 30-year-olds die and, you know— You've terminally weaned, um, you know, a healthy forty-two-year-old, and seen all these people die. You're like, well, f- fuck! Like, am am I am I gonna die? Like, is, is this is this gonna turn? Is is this gonna turn into something worse? And like that, um, man! Like that 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 shit was scary. And I have never been scared. I have never been scared for my health in my entire life. So. I am now the patient and um, I qualified in for the 10-day remdesivir trial and I was on azithromycin. I was on solumedrol, 80 milligrams a day, IV. I was getting vitamin C. I was getting zinc and my D-dimer was 21. So I was also started on anticoagulation. Um, Even if my D-dimer was not 21 – the the team at Mount Sinai, you know, we had kind of discussed what people were seeing in trends in COVID treatment. And, you know, out, patients who were placed on anticoagulation have had better outcomes. So they said, you know, even if your dimer wasn't high, we would still have started you on a preventative dose of anticoagulation for a whole course of it because we're seeing better outcomes with that. So um, that was my medication regimen. And um, this is kind of funny, but, like, the guy who was in the room next to me was a fucking screamer. (laughs) And let me tell you guys, I don't know what he looks like. I just know that he is a little old geriatric man who is just as confused as a jaybird. And, boy, he would sundown every single night. And I was like, is this, like, the nursing gods paying me back for every time, like— for every time I like put like an AO patient next to a sundowner because fuck. And it was so it was like, oh God, this is this this is it. This is the whole patient experience. If you guys don't know what a sundowner is, basically something that affects geriatric elderly patients. Um once the sun goes down that's when shit hits the fan. They get very confused. They can get agitated. They can start crawling out of bed. They can start screaming. And if you work in a hospital or a nursing home um, or have, you know, an elderly loved one, you probably know all about sundowning. So I I asked for Ambien at night. I was like, I'm like not sleeping. I um, Listen, if I'm going to be a patient, I want the whole fucking patient experience. I was like, I would like some Ambien. First time, In my entire life that I ever took Ambien, and boy, let me tell you, I slept like a fucking rock. Anyway, so I am being seen by the ID specialist, and um, then I have my attending and a fellow and an NP service who is my primary care team. So the nurses consolidate and stagger their care, and the patient care techs as well. They come in once in the morning, and then, like typically – you know, morning meds. And then um, my remdesivir was due around 4 p.m. So they would come around 4 p.m. and hang that. And then um, they uh, would come at the end of the shift and they would never spend more than five minutes in the room. My physicians and the NPs would text me. They would FaceTime me. And when I started noticing after my first few days, I was like, this is interesting. They're really making sure that the staff does not have lots and lots of exposure. They're really limiting the staff's time in the COVID-positive patient rooms, which, by the way, all COVID-positive patients were in rooms with doors. Maybe not all negative pressure rooms, but they were in rooms with doors. So when the staff leaves the room, they close the door, they can go out to the nurse's station, you know, and they can, um, you know, remove their N95 or they can put on a surgical mask instead of, instead of that. And it was really interesting because when I started seeing their routine of how they do things at Sinai, I was just like, man, like they, they care about the staff here. (laughs) And then I remembered my experience at Kings County and I was like, oh yeah, like that, that definitely was not the situation there at all. They just kind of like left us hanging out there. I mean, we were the equivalent of, like, a nurse or an attending being in my room with me, but imagine me, like, vented for the entire shift and never leaving. Like, that's unimaginable at any other hospital. And so that really, you know, um, started turning some, um, you know, turning some gears in my mind. So I was on oxygen. I was on two to three liters nasal cannula. Um, Thank God I did not require intubation. Thank God I did not develop a whopping heart failure from, you know, a a post-viral myocarditis. Thank God that I did not require ECMO. Thank God I wasn't on life support or, you know, an oxymizer. Like, there are so many things that I was really grateful for. And I tell you what, if you ever need to change your perspective on your life, get really sick and get admitted to the hospital for the same thing that has killed people younger and healthier than you. And that will change your perspective really fucking quick. So it was really great. The The NPs on my service, which is the ADS tele-service um, at Mount Sinai, Medina and Samra and Rosanna, um, they would come and bring me, like, goodies. Like, every single day they would they would come and bring me crossword puzzles and, like— Spa masks and um, it was just like so comforting. And Danielle Bellardo, uh, Doctor Danielle Bellardo, and um, Doctor Preeti Piramarla who Preeti was a heart failure fellow at Sinai years ago, and she now is in Philly as an attending. And Doctor Danielle Bellardo, who is a um, a new newly graduated cardiology attending, um, also in Philly. <laughs> They're both vegetarians, and they sent me a fucking fruit basket. And the fruit basket was from Edible Arrangements. And the funny thing was that for some reason, like Edible Arrangements sent an entire melon in the fruit basket. And when I got the delivery, I was like, Do you guys know that you sent me like an entire uncut melon? And they're like, What? Send me a picture. And I took a picture of this fruit basket. And I was like, who sends an entire melon to, like, a patient's hospital room? So I decided to, like, be a little creative. And so I drew on the melon and I turned him into, like, a little Rona Wilson. Because if you guys remember Castaway, Tom Hanks, he had his buddy Wilson – and so that little cantaloupe kind of, like, helped me through, like, the next week and a half that I was admitted. So now we have, like, a running inside joke. Um, Danielle Bolardo's nickname is now Melon, and um, Rona Wilson will forever live in our spirits. Anyway, so I really have to, like, commend the staff. Um, also, Aileen, who was one of the patient care techs on Seven Center, she would, like, come and visit me, and she would text me on her days off and, like— even Lindsay Condra, like she came in and dropped off like all kinds of goodies because people know I love to eat. And I was getting my appetite back. And it was like, I just can't tell people enough how phenomenal the care was there. And I hope that anybody who ever has to be admitted has that same experience. And I'm very grateful for that. And um, the the funny thing was, was I was realizing, you know, over the next few days that my type A personality, I had to kind of like let a lot of things go. It's very difficult when you feel like you do not have control of anything and that you are just like very powerless. And I know that that's something a lot of patients really struggle with. And that was a really big thing for me. Um, I just I had no control over this. So after the first few days um, that I was getting the remdesivir and the solumedrol, that was when I noticed the biggest improvement in my symptoms. Um, I had, if you've ever gotten steroids, like IV steroids, it it makes you feel fucking batty. It makes you feel like you're crawling out of your skin. You're so restless. It's so ugh. But it really, really significantly helped with my shortness of breath and my symptoms And I really attribute the remdesivir and the um, solumedrol with what I think probably gave me the most beneficial therapeutic result within like, you know, that first week that I was admitted. Um, So over the next, you know, course of the week, um, I learned what it felt like to fully be a patient. I mean, I had to use a shower chair. I couldn't even like stand up in the shower. I was so weak and so short of breath. I knew what it was like to to have to like ask for help. And it's just not something that I'm used to doing. Like you need help with your ADLs. Like you need help with getting across the room because you're just so short of breath and I just I just can't tell you guys what it feels like to be the patient. And it will forever change me as a provider. And it will forever change me as a human. So um, during this time, I, you know, during this time that I was admitted, I was admitted for 10 days. And during that time, you know, I was FaceTiming with my family every day. I did not post anything on social media like about me getting admitted or having COVID or anything. And it was interesting. One of the reasons why was because the occupational health NP at the staffing company was like, you can't tell anyone you have COVID because if you do, the hotel is going to kick you out and then you won't have anywhere to go. And I was like, what the fuck? Anyway, so um, three or four days into my hospital admission, I get a call from the human resource department at the um, staffing agency and they said, Hi, Katie. So, um, we just need to know like where you're at, and I'm like, huh? And they said, well, yeah. So the other day, um, you independently took yourself to the hospital, and you had refused um, to go to occupational health, and like no one's heard from you since then. And I'm like, well, that's interesting because I've been giving daily updates to your NP. I'm admitted in the hospital with COVID pneumonia, and I'm on oxygen, and I'm 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 sick. And they were like, oh. Like no one had even bothered to tell them, and it was such a clusterfuck of an organization. And it really was just like, man, like this, this is just crazy. Anyway, so they said, okay, um, we need to make a few phone calls. And then the next day they called me back and they said, you know, so we're going to demobilize you, which means that you know we will no longer be needing you, which is basically like we're terminating your 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 staffing contract. And I was like, oh, well, that, that's a great thing to you know call me while I'm here in the hospital with the fucking illness I contracted while working for you guys. Great. Thanks. And then they said, so we're going to need you to come and pack up your hotel room because, you know, um, we need to repurpose your hotel room. And I'm like, huh? They're like, yeah. So can you make arrangements to come and pack up your hotel room? And I'm like, well, um, I'm admitted to the hospital, so I don't think I'll be able to come and do that. And, um, given that like, you know, it's not really ideal or safe for, like, the, f- the friends that I have to come and pack that up. Like, you guys, why don't you guys do that for me? If you need to give away my hotel room, why don't you go pack up my hotel room? Because I can't fucking do it. And then they were like, um, well, um, okay, uh, we'll make a few calls again. And so the next day they call me back and they're like, So um, we're just going to let you come and pack up your hotel room whenever you get discharged. I was like, gee, thanks. I appreciate that. Thank you so, so much. So it was just like one thing after another. So um, we are noticing over the course of like my hospitalization that any sort of activity gives me shortness of breath. And when I say, like, activity, like getting up and walking from the bed to the bathroom, standing up for too long, talking too much, I get short of breath. But after my first um, six days, I was able to wean off the oxygen. I was very excited about that. And so I was on room air. My O2 sats were doing good on room air. But I was still very symptomatic. So... um, Throughout the course, so the remdesivir trial that I was in was 10 days of IV doses. So after I got my 10th dose, I was able to be discharged from the hospital. And before I got discharged, you know, it was interesting because, like, I had nowhere to go. So the hotel that I had been living at for a month and the staffing agency I had been working for had, you know, canceled my contract and told me I need to come pack up my stuff I had no apartment in New York City. I couldn't just go back to D.C. because my relationship had ended. And I couldn't just fly home and see my family. I have a sister who's on chemotherapy. I have, you know, my parents are in their early 80s. They're healthy, but, like, I have COVID. I can't just, like, go anywhere and so I was talking with social work, and thank God Haley Zeidman was a social worker who took care of me. She was able to get me a Mount Sinai um, hotel room so that when I got discharged from the hospital, I at least had somewhere to go to figure out what am I going to do. And it's interesting because I'm like, I'm 38 years old, and I, I, I don't have anywhere to go, and I can't go to what the normal— I can't go and do, like, the normal things. COVID just changes everything. And also, like, I have some PTSD. Like, I was terrified. I was scared that I would get people sick if I touched something, if I stood too close to somebody. And I was so vigilant about everything because I was just like, God, I could not live with myself if I gave somebody else this. It really morally weighs on you. It's very heavy. And it is just like, man, I— I was having a hard time dealing with all that. So um, my sister, Rebecca, yes, we call her Becky for short. She's a nurse practitioner at Northwestern in Chicago. She had been working on the COVID ICU service um, and in the COVID tent in Chicago over the last month. And she was like, you know, just just come here. Come here. And um, I've been exposed to COVID for the last month. You know, I have a I have a guest bedroom. You can quarantine here in the guest bedroom. And, you know, you need to be around family. You do not, you cannot be by yourself. And the ID doctor was like, you know, I'm okay with that. Spend a day or two in the hotel after you leave here. Make sure that you're okay to get to Chicago because I was going to drive there. And I think it would be best for you to be around somebody who can take care of you. Because, like, I just, I, I was just, I was spent I was so fatigued and I was still so short of breath and I'm going home on anticoagulation and it was just like, I was a different person. And so, so when I got discharged, I drove to the hotel, sort of just rested for a day or two and then drove to Chicago. And um, when I drove to Chicago, my sister and her boyfriend had set up her guest room for me and it was like I was just like 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 she saved me like they saved me and I quarantined there for two weeks and they cooked for me every night and she took care of me and I got caught up on sleep and that was when I really started like processing the breakup because it was kind of like well damn um Now that I'm, like, out of the hospital and my health is kind of, like, starting to be on the road to recovery, like, oh, hey, remember that thing that happened, you know, a a month ago or two months ago? Like, you really—you're going to have to start processing that. And it really, really fucked with me. And I I was having a hard time, but I was so grateful to be around family and not be in isolation or locked in a hotel room or in the hospital— God, I just can't explain to you guys what it feels like to, like, be admitted, but, like, be admitted for, like, 10 fucking days and just not know, like, where your health is going to go. And that's why it really—that's why it's really, like, so important for people to understand the severity of this. That's—this is one reason why we wear masks. This is one reason why we wash our hands. This is one reason why we are mindful of our fellow humans and as somebody who has taken care of covid patients and then got it herself and like I had a really bad case and thankfully I did not require life support or a ventilator but like it has changed me forever and it's the kind of thing that I think it's going to take me a long time to recover from that whole entire experience and here I am the day that I'm recording this right now it is July 9th and I am still having a lot of shortness of breath. I can't tolerate activity still. I just got clearance to go back to work. And, you know, working is not anything anything incredibly strenuous, you know, but I got clearance to go back to work and I'm looking forward for that. And I have negative COVID tests, but I still have symptoms. And it really fucks with me because, like, I would love to just, like, go out and go for a jog, or I would just love to like go out and do some activity to clear my head because it. I have a lot of things that have happened over the last few months and I can't, like my health is not normal. And here I am, May to June, June to July, two, you know, over two months later and I'm still having symptoms even after I've tested negative, like You guys, I can walk up one flight of stairs, and I am, like, gasping for air. If you can listen to the podcasts, and I have to stop and take breaths. I get short of breath just talking. Yesterday, we went um, out for tacos, and Danielle Maltby and I, we were walking down the street, and I'm talking and walking. I had to stop and take a rest break. And that just, like, fucks with me because, like, I— I don't know how long I'm going to feel like this. I don't know when I'm going to feel like normal again. I, no one knows. Like, there's so much that we don't know about COVID. There's so much that that we just are clueless about. And it's scary because, like, I don't know what the long-term effects are going to be. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to still be, like, dyspneic and short of breath and fatigued in six more months. And I hope not because— that's going to, like, mess with my, like, mental health. It just will. And I've never been in a position in my whole entire life to where, like, my health is is not the same. So this has all been a lot for me to deal with. And, again, super grateful to be alive, super grateful to be, super grateful to be alive. Like, I'm just going to leave it at that. But um, this is going to be something that's a long journey and it's going to be going to be something that is going to take a lot of therapy and a lot of processing on my end because it's just something that has changed my life. It's changed my life forever in more ways than just my health status. And um, I hope that by me sharing this experience with you guys, that Maybe you can learn something. Maybe you can send it to a family member or a friend who thinks that COVID is a fucking hoax or who someone who thinks that like masks are a political statement, but like there's so many, there's so many different perspectives of this disease and um, I wouldn't wish this on anybody and at the end of the day, I just, I pray that we can. Come together as a nation um, and as a global society of humans. And I pray that there is a vaccine one day. And I pray that this pandemic does not, you know, continue to paralyze people's lives. And um, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. At the end of the day, you know, 2020 has um, been a pretty shitty year. And, um, I could sit here and just be salty and play the victim and be like, oh, my God, I've had all this bad stuff. But I look at it like this. Look, I got COVID and I got a bad case of it, but it could be so much worse. And this is just the hand that I have been dealt. And this is what I have to deal with. And how can I make this experience something that can possibly help other people? And what can I learn from this? And that's where I'm going from here. So... I think moving forward, you know, we'll do some episodes every month or two, and we'll check in with the long-term effects of COVID. I am donating my convalescent plasma to the New York Blood Center um, on in August, my appointment is. And um, I have antibodies, thank God. And um, I'm excited to see the results of the, um, the vaccine development over the next six to 12 months. And I will definitely, you know, keep this as an ongoing thing here on the Bad Decisions podcast because, um, fuck, I mean, I, I I, don't know what lies ahead. But I just hope from here that um, it's less of an uphill battle and a little more stable ground. Thanks, guys, for listening. And thank you for your support throughout this whole thing. Thank you for the messages and the well wishes. And I really appreciate it. That was COVID Chronicles. Talk to you guys next week. Bad Decisions is hosted by Katie Duke and is a production of Lasting Media. The show is produced by Katie Duke, Jason Barrett, John Fender, and Jonas Litton. Do you have a bad decision you'd like to share? Visit BadDecisionsPodcast.com and submit your story for a chance to be featured on the show. For all things Katie Duke, visit KatieDukeOnline.com and on social media at Duke. Hey, guys, did you know that I partner with Amanda from The Resume Rx to offer you guys some promotional discounts for all of her amazing resume services for nurses, nurse practitioners, and students? Well, I wanted to tell you about the bundle that we have right now. If you use the code BADDECISIONS, you can get 20% off digital products from The Resume Rx. All you have to do is go to theresumerx.com slash Duke. Or the resumeRX.com/slash/baddecisions and use the coupon code Bad Decisions for twenty percent off. You can get the nurse resume template bundle. You can get the weekend resume makeover program, and you can also get a discount on the NP Society membership. And I'm going to get into that in a minute, but. Right now, if you're looking for a resume update, if you need resume tips, if you need a new template, if you're applying for some new jobs, or if you're fresh out of school, or if you're just all around need your whole resume made over, Amanda has the best services. I've used them myself. So head to the resumerxcom rx.com and use the coupon code bad decisions for 20% off.